Hello, and welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, Tal and I will speak with the Chief Risk Officer at HUD, Larry Koskinen. Larry shares many insights into HUD's significant risk management program with risk officers throughout multiple program areas. So let's talk to Larry. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we're happy to have with us Larry Koskinen from HUD. Welcome. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. It's good to be here. And uh, we also have our illustrious co-host, Mr. Tal Seaman. Good morning. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Nice day today. So let's uh, let's let's jump into uh, HUD's program here. So why don't we start off a little background on yourself, Larry, and then maybe get into uh, some of HUD's unique uh, situation. Uh, terrific. At an earlier AGA conference, uh, in order to save time, I uh, reduced my uh, CV to a tweet. So I will read that for you right now. Uh, Forty plus years in public service, government, private, nonprofit, international, recovering lawyer, now does risky business, retiring soon. <laughs> That's my background. If I were to unpack that a little bit, um, I have an undergraduate degree in photography and a law degree, which means that my left brain and right brain are constantly at war, but it's very useful actually uh, in the work that I'm doing around risk management. I've held or supervised nearly every C-suite job in my 40 plus year career. Many happy years working for the Peace Corps, both as a volunteer and a staffer, one of the finest organizations in Washington to my money. Um, and I think um, one of the most significant and useful experiences I've had recently has, has been um, as an executive in two of the biggest inspectors general, uh, one at the IRS and one at the Postal Service, where data is everything and risk management is, is baked into the work that we do. It's been my privilege to serve on two major innovation uh, efforts, the one in the Reagan administration on the Grace Commission, and then uh, fairly recently the Clinton administration on the National Performance Review. I was a vice president of the Council for Excellence in Government. Those programs are now absorbed into the Partnership for Public Service. So I've been doing innovation uh, work for much of my career. It's been very interesting. At HUD, I'm the Chief Risk Officer. That um, office is now resides in the Chief Financial Officer's office. Mm -hmm. uh, I report uh, directly to that uh, Senate-confirmed political appointee. I have a lot of profile and visibility at the department. We had an all-hands meeting yesterday with the secretary, and they called out our risk programs uh, from the dais several times. So mm. there's a lot of, of visibility uh, there. Um, we have uh, 16 different risk programs at HUD, and so my job is as basically as a cat wrangler. <laughs> um, there's a, uh, a saying that says the future is already here; it's unevenly distributed. Uh, we have some excellent programs at HUD, and we have uh, you know. Uh, programs that really are just getting going, and so um, my day-to-day -day work is is about hand-holding uh, and exhorting, and uh, it's uh, and everything in between. Um, so, so those six you said sixteen risk yes, programs. So, that's right. talk about that a little bit. I mean, what, is it is that because it's spread throughout the country, or just different offices, or how does that? What's the structure how of that? Do you, how do you split them up? Yeah, how do you yeah. split something like that up? So they are aligned by program. Okay. Um, and right. although they are distributed geographically, we've got about 100 people, I figure, working on risk and risk issues. Mm. Um, at HUD, we have a diverse mission. We're a federated agency. So um, major grant-making efforts, some at the retail level, some at the uh, block grant level, which mm -hmm. is a challenge in and of itself. Um, we have underwriting activity. Uh, approaching four trillion dollars now with FHA and Ginnie Mae security, so we right. care about that. We do regulatory affairs, risk making around lead. Uh, I grew up in Flint, Michigan. I care about mm -hmm. this stuff a lot, and uh, it's my my privilege to be able to give back to the town that, that uh, was so important in, in my uh, development. 
It was a great place to grow up. Um, and then we've got all of the C-suite operational risks as well. HUD has okay. been traditionally um, understaffed. We've lost uh, 10,000 employees over the last decade or so. Hmm. And uh, that has been a, a fundamental risk issue for the department in program management and oversight as well. So coordinating all of that at the department level is my challenge. Uh, not doing their work for them, uh, so they maintain their own profiles. Um, hmm. And all of that, uh, all of that work is their work. Um, we negotiate very carefully around the visibility that I have and that the uh, our external oversight uh, partners have into their uh, working risk profiles. Uh, but then declared risks come up to me, and we we get a handful from each of those programs. And then my work is to work with the risk management council to surface the top level risks and to develop mitigation strategies around them. So. Right. We, we drive um, standards, um, we drive compliance behavior for the different external uh, requirements. Um, we do a lot of socializing of the program. Um, I lead uh, tough conversations often um, when, when it's um, more useful for me to come in and take that uh, departmental point of view. So, so uh, as you said, so your role is kind of the, be the centralized, just kind of help coordinate all this and, mm -hmm. and bring it all together. Um, you know, and uh, now how did you get, you know, leadership and other stakeholders involved? I mean, it sounds like obviously HUD is I mean, one of the main prior major jobs there is to manage risk. It's just as an agency, right? Right. So, right. but how'd you get, you know, leadership and all to, to get bought into that? Well, it's, it, um, to say that we got them bought in <laughs> um, implies that once you get them bought in, they stay bought in. Mm. And uh, so I think it's not a secret that this administration, we've seen a lot of uh, churn in the political uh, cadre. Mm -hmm. um, that's been true at HUD. And so I spend a very large amount of my time in briefing new executives, new political appointees, and uh, continuing the conversation um, with our uh, internal leadership about the evolution of our program. It's one thing to get them to do a risk profile. Mm -hmm. It's another thing then to start to prioritize and develop mitigation strategies. Each one of those phases takes a, you know, conversations, uh, trust building, and uh, you can't run a risk program from 30,000 feet. It's a very mm -hmm. personal, uh, trust-built, you know, one-off, one conversation at a time kind of effort. And to pursue this buy-in a little bit, I mm -hmm. mean, usually when you get these uh, senior folks come in, the one thing they care about most is understanding how the gears grind right. and what are the inputs right. and how do you shape the process right. to uh, achieve whatever their priorities are. Right. So. Uh, how, how right now, in terms of maintaining buy-in, how effective has HUD been in inserting these risk processes into your strategic planning, mm -hmm. the strategic priorities, the capital planning, the execution of, of funds mm -hmm. on, a, on an annual basis, and is that, is that supporting and enhancing the role of, of, of risk management in the agency or not? I, w I would say we've, we've made some important innovations in that area. Um, we, my team will tell you that uh, I talk all the time about the four horsemen, which are really the, the, the focus of our work. That is uh, strategic planning, performance management, um, the whole uh, issue of budget planning, and then capital investment, which is, is different than budgeting because it's so much about the future, the transformational future mm -hmm. of the enterprise. Um, so when we started out with the, launched the risk program in, in 2017, I actually had the strategic planning uh, analysts as my deputies in the development of the risk, uh, the mm. first risk profile. It was embedded into our strategic planning beginning at that point. 
We were co-located with the performance management team, so our, right. our annual performance plan, in fact, includes the risk elements as well. Yeah. And now I've got two budget analysts that are permanently uh, assigned to me whose job it is to, to uh, analyze the financial implications of mitigation efforts. And they look at the budgets that, um, that the reporting, uh, the risk-owning offices uh, currently have, and they ask the question, could this mitigation be funded within their existing resources? Sometimes it can, sometimes it can't, but what's the total cost of mitigation? Right. Um, and, then, and then maintain a level of accountability around the mitigation efforts so that we know that those are going forward. Uh, with capital planning, right now, IT planning and, and um, personnel planning are the big risk areas that mm -hmm. we're, we're dealing with. Um, we have a new Chico, we have a new CPO. Uh, they are both focused like a laser on uh, improving the, pr the processes at HUD. Uh, and we've recently briefed them out on three years worth of risk um, mitigation work uh, so that they don't have to start over from scratch. Of course, they have their own opinions. These are both highly uh, skilled professionals. Uh, but what they see resonates with them. And, uh, and also, I think this is really quite important. We have some very important um, activity going on right now about internal controls and, and financial integrity. It's not a secret that HUD has had challenges around financial integrity in, in the past. We have a, a superb new uh, CFO uh, political appointee who's focused like a laser on that. Uh, and he understands that if this, um, the work that he's taken on, which is basically large-scale mitigation work responding mm -hmm. to audit findings and, and his own sense of what is excellent uh, in the private sector, um, if it's going to live beyond his departure, it's got to be instantiated in a way that we have external oversight aligned with our priorities. So right. GAO cares about what's on our risk profile, OMB cares about it, the IG cares deeply about it. And this is for the first time in my professional experience, um, an opportunity to build continuity of, of, of uh, mission execution around improvement efforts uh, in a way that really didn't exist before in my yeah. experience. And, and that's kind of exciting. So. Um, we're, we're really moving out in all those directions. I know that integration is the only success path forward. Um, right. And uh, so if, uh, if I were not working with these four horsemen that I was describing, right. uh, I would be reduced to a compliance exercise that is enterprise list management, not enterprise risk management. I like that. <laughs> Put that one on the t-shirt. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, I am a little interested in the actual mechanics of, you know, how do you work with strategy and budget and performance folks is it i mean as a as an as a cro do you literally just brief them periodically or are you integrated in you know re periodic meetings about other subjects and you're kind of part of that what's the actual mechanics yeah so we we hit it two ways one is the integration that i talked about okay. sort of marry your daughters off so so that you know you've got yeah. actually uh incentivized integration with people who are shared staffers that are actually co-located um, with us, and that's that's working out very well. But we have a risk management council, which is the right. senior political leadership. Um, we've we've uh, had a couple of meetings with the risk management council. That was important to get them on board, understand their their role, um, and then we, we work through the top risks. We've done some consensus work with them to identify the top risks that we need to be worked on. Right. Um, we've we've uh, validated our taxonomy with them. Yeah. And I expect that in the in the uh, Late summer, we'll be meeting with them again to have our first really meaningful conversations about risk appetite and tolerance. Okay. Now, beneath that, we've got um, between 16 and 20, depending on how many people we engage, of uh, the chief risk officers and risk liaison folks. And they really are sort of like the PMO for the Risk Management Council. Mm -hmm. um, they're the ones who are pulling together our inventory of appetite statements. They are the ones with whom we coordinate on the uh, 
the work that we do around putting the new profiles together as we're doing our prioritization and heat mapping. Um, they're the ones we would interact with as we're looking at costing strategies and implementation strategies on mitigation efforts. They're the, they're the ones that are in the trenches. And we meet right. with them every month. Um, we share data back and forth routinely with them. Um, you know, really building, building them both as an intermediate um, working body, but also a community of practice. And so a community of action and a community hmm. of practice. These are good folks, highly motivated. They know their programs. They're, the, they're career folks. Um, and uh, they're very interesting to work with, and, and we're, I think, succeeding in a pretty good way with that. And then you mentioned risk appetite. Some, uh, have you guys thought about, have you developed a statement of risk appetite? or? Uh? So that's our big challenge this summer, and uh, we've, we've taken it on uh, first by developing a uh, really an inventory of risk appetite uh, options or opportunities. Um, our, our programs are diverse, as I said. We do mm -hmm. grant making, we do underwriting, regulatory affairs, and so forth. So it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of environment for us. But what we have begun to slowly step up to is the, is the top-level issue with HUD. HUD exists really to, to mitigate risk in, in private equity investing mm -hmm. um, in, in, many, in many important ways. We leverage private equity for public good. Uh, that's a, sort of the under the unstated mission of the of the department. Right. Um, that's that's uh, that's why financial accountability is so essential for us because it's not just about process hygiene; it's about product. Mm -hmm. um, uh, equity investors need to know that if they make an investment, whether you're in a PHA, a nonprofit, a, a community, a tribe, whatever, right. whoever is cutting a check to build something, they need to be confident that HUD numbers matter. And, uh, and we're working very, very hard to ensure that that's true. From the secretary on down, um, there's a, a deep commitment to that. Does so that what, what do you think your approach is gonna look like? Previously, you were talking about 16 r real major product lines. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, as an agency that's dealing with this public risk right. uh, through all these different programs with programmatic risk, how mm -hmm. do you see yourself structuring a, a risk appetite statement that will set policy, uh, especially on strategic planning and performance planning for these programs and guide their operations? Boy, that's a great question, and we could spend the rest of an hour talking <laughs> about that one. Um, so I think the first, the first issue is what I was talking about earlier, and that is coming to grips with the fact that, that HUD employs, uh, and it's interesting, we're, we're rather risk adverse like most bureaucratic organizations, sure. Right. But that HUD employees, uh, their natural instinct is to run to the risk. If you look at our mm -hmm. disaster recovery activity, we put highly skilled, experienced, passionate people on the ground to, to help American citizens in, at their worst moments, okay? Right. And these folks are not checking the rule book all the time uh, when they're doing that work on the ground. Um, and often what will occur is uh, someone will get beyond uh, the regs occasionally uh, and the IG will come in afterward, and, and, it, and that it doesn't always go well. Uh, so one of our abiding interests is to protect the best and the brightest at HUD so that they know where the bright lines are. And, and they are different in a disaster recovery area uh, uh, operation uh, than they are in a normal day-to-day -day, uh, operational setting. Um, we, uh, so that's, that's really important in, in terms of maintaining the vigor um, and, and the sense of confidence that our people in the field need to have that management has their back on that. And writing that stuff down is really important for them. You know, the, uh, coming from a, an emergency 
first responder type uh, agency where I've been in the field and doing that, I, we had those sort of risk appetite statements, which right. we didn't know, that's what we called them yet, right. where it says, get there, make the assessment, take action, report later. Right, right, and, right. And, and, right. and it, as I look back on it now, right. it's like that was not only a risk appetite statement, but it's one of these opportunity sites. Usually when we get into risk appetite statements or risk management, mm -hmm. we focus we focus on the loss and the harm and not the opportunity. Right, right. And, and I think what you're describing here in this emergency side is getting statements that encourage the uh, the person with the boots on deck mm -hmm. to to capture the opportunity for the mission. Right. Are, are you are is HUD discussing that specifically this opportunity side of the risk appetite oh, statements? Ab absolutely. Mother Nature does not uh, respect the federal acquisition regulations, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know we we deal with earthquakes and fires and yes. floods and uh, hurricanes yeah. and yeah. Uh, you know these are these are environments where. You know, we've got to have a single-minded focus on the citizen, right. and uh, and making sure that our that the like you say the boots on the deck. These folks really understand where they can where they can cut corners and clean up later, and, mm -hmm. and where they really can't. And, right, uh, and that's, oh, that's 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 good. Yeah, that's make that very make that clear. You know, where this is absolutely you cannot do X, but we, there's got to be leeway here oh, because things have to, to be done. Right, and, right. Exactly. Yeah. So if you look on our underwriting side and the story of the 2008-2009 um, you know, crisis, mm -hmm. um, Ginny May really stepped up. We, um, we maintain our capital reserve very mindfully. That mm -hmm. We've got some superb risk management uh, work going on at, at Ginny and FHA, highly skilled folks. It's very interesting for me uh, to sit with them and listen to the, the work that they do uh, every day. Um, but leaning in on market issues is very big uh, mm. in, in, the, in the work that we do and, uh, and very consequential. If you, if you look at Ginny May's uh, role uh, in 2009 and re essentially recapitalizing the American housing market, uh, it's, a, it's a heroic story yeah, huge, what yeah. they did. <laughs> and, and it meant that we had to you know, blow through our cap reserve numbers uh, in, in a very mindful uh, way. Timidity was not called for in that setting, <laughs> and uh, you were focused on the opportunity. Right, exactly the upside risk, as, right. they, as they say. Uh, it's funny, you know, in, in my work with uh, in a, a managers, often people conflate risk and riskiness, and, mm. and that's like saying that speed and fast are the same idea. And right. It's a pity that risk and risky sound so similar, <laughs> but to you know, and there's no good word for upside risk. The op what's the opposite of risky? You know, uh, there's no <laughs> there's no tidy little term for that. Right. But looking for that opportunity risk is huge, and, and in the government, we, we typically don't do that. Um, right. And uh, it's an opportunity for us at HUD to, to really sort of break through on some of that. Shaping the culture. Well, it's, yeah. that's huge, that's huge. It's all about that. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, some maybe some unique approaches or things that you guys are doing. Uh, I understand you have some interesting data analytics uh, approaches. Yes, um, I'm very excited about that. In fact, in large measure, I think I, I um, I'm at HUD because of the work that I had done uh, at, at Postal and, and IRS around this area. So when I was uh, an IG executive, um, my team had a motto, which was sharp eye, sharp mind, sharp teeth. And that meant see the threat, understand the threat, attack the threat. Right. Okay? <laughs> and that's the way our, our program is built, sharp eye, sharp mind, sharp teeth. Um, and each one is necessary but insufficient, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so we're working on a project right now. One of the big challenges uh, at HUD is that we put a lot of our grant money out into the field in block grants. And so we, we get pressured by Congress 
um, to get out of their way when they're assigning block grants out into their constituent communities. Uh, but also there are countervailing voices that say uh, you need to be accountable for fraud in those programs and where we don't have line of sight on day-to-day -day operations mm -hmm. except when we send an auditor in. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned earlier, we've reduced HUD's complement by more than half. Uh, and so deploying oversight resources ends up being a huge challenge for us. So what we've got now going on, and I'm really excited about this, um, I have a, a, a great uh, implementing partner in KPMG. Um, they've brought in, their corp caps are pretty good in this space, although there are other uh, good vendors out there as well. But they've got a firm called Elder Research, who's doing a lot of work in the intelligence community, uh, SEC, IRS, uh, DOD, uh, and they've made some very interesting and important inroads in the inspector general community. And they've, they've worked with us to take all of the uh, OMB Circular A133 single audits, uh, which is a, a largely unexploited, although increasingly there's a lot of good activity going on around uh, A133, and using computational linguistics and sentiment analysis, begin to use reputation from the outside as a way to focus RIG, I'm sorry, RIG, our, <laughs> old habits die hard, um, our oversight activity. Although I'd like to talk a little bit later about our emerging relationship with the IG as mm -hmm. well. So that actually has gone pretty well. And um, we have been ground truthing our analysis with the program managers. And, and this is a, every data analyst's dream come true. I, I walked into a setting where we had um, you know, done our work in uh, computational linguistics modeling. Uh, we showed the results to the program managers and, and the comment that was made was, uh, you got the high risks right, and you've got them in the right order. And you know, so there's a lot of high fiving going on amongst <laughs> the data get, scientists. Doesn't get better than that. <laughs> well, and and but we know there's more to do. Right. And so that, and every one of these efforts is a bootstrap. You know, you start out with small demonstration project. You build confidence. Uh, people need to know that it's constructive and, and even safe to do this work. Mm -hmm. um, and the the leadership and the in the program level said this is significant let's take it to the next level. So now they've made available to us all of their internal transaction data. So we've got sentiment analysis as a foundation, which is important at HUD because we are sometimes accused of playing favorites on who we audit. Hmm. Um, and that's a very difficult place to be, especially in the political era where um, there's a lot of real estate activity in and among senior political leadership. Right. Um, and it's very important for us to be able to demonstrate objectivity and even-handedness uh, in, in how we assign audit targets. So we take that seriously regardless of the political environment. Right. Um, and, and by doing a, a fully horizontal analysis of the A120, or A133 data, it allows us to be objective in a very, very transparent and important way. Our taxonomy is something we're happy to share. Right. And uh, so at any rate... Speaking of taxonomy... Yes. Sentiment analysis. Yes, yeah, a good so one. What, for the listeners, what is that? For me, what is yeah, that? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> so so the, the approach that we used was we found a SME who was a data scientist and an auditor. And and God love him, he sat down in a, in a closed room for a, a week or so and went through a whole bunch of A133 audits and said, if you were uh, to identify terms that would be dispositive in terms of the, of the quality of the, the narrative in these, uh, in these audits, what would they be? Mm -hmm. And how would you assign point values to them, so forth? So um, 
you know, a material weakness would have a high you know, sure. value. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, disallowed costs. Uh, you know, the kinds of things that you would you would you would hope nepotism. You know, mm -hmm. would be a deal killer. Um, but so um, we we came up with a, a large number of terms, um, both uh, upside terms, positive yeah. terms, and downside terms, and then assigned assigned plus numbers and negative numbers to them. And we're we've you know, we're working on tweaking that model. As it turns out in grant making, uh, Elder had done a lot of work in um, uh, contract fraud. Uh, when I was using them at the Postal Service, they did a lot of excellent contract fraud work for me. And it turns out that the internal dynamics, fraud detection dynamics in a, in a, in a grant and in a contract are 85% the same. Right. So being able to go in and look at these, um, these dynamics um, I think there's broad applicability throughout government contracting and government grant making. Mm -hmm. I think we're, we're really beginning to um, uh, document what that looks like. And so it's, it ends up being very practical. Um, we were able to, as I said, using that um, sort of auditor's view, um, be able to really detect it. It's actually the most practical example of knowledge management that I've ever seen. So it basically embedded the auditor into the analytic process. Electron electronically uh, uploaded data from yep. auditors' reports yep. with this scoring and analysis right. of the taxonomy used by the uh, by the auditor describing good and bad things. That's, that's exactly right. Okay. And so you know we, we we it's not binary. Okay, we're this what? is this is risk based. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're 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 assigning a hundred point scale a score on a hundred point scale. And you know, being able to say, you know, we started with this huge haystack. We're now bringing it down to a much smaller haystack. This is what we want our oversight uh, efforts to really focus on. Prioritization. Prioritization. Hmm. And and we, you know, we. I mean, this is about risk appetite. We hmm. don't have enough people. Um, we don't have enough boots on the ground to do everything. Uh, the old approach of compliance-based auditing is a, is a brute force. You know, sledgehammer approach, um, and uh, what we need to be is smarter and more elegant about the way that we go after these uh, these efforts, and uh, and that's playing out uh, in our experience now. So, so a lot of your data analytics effort aimed at basically discovering maybe the truth or what's what's really going on out there. We might have a, an assumption in our head of X Y Z, but until you really gather the data and analyze it, you don't really know. Are you going the right way? Well, you know, to to talk about this meaningfully, we've got to really bring in the role of the OIG in mm -hmm. this. I think. Yeah, and sure. So we we are um, in a in a very important evolving relationship now with our Inspector General, and you know, coming out of the IG world, I, I understand them. I understand their internal dynamics. I'm not afraid to have a conversation with raised voices with them occasionally. Right. These are good, well-intentioned people, highly skilled in most cases, and, and really want to do the right thing. And uh, so what we have done is very carefully um, negotiate our way forward. We don't collaborate with them. We don't even cooperate with them. And that, that's very mindfully um, uh, determined. What we do is we coordinate with them. And mm -hmm. so there are lots of opportunities for us to coordinate around data structure and reporting, around the heat map, mm -hmm. how many elements do you have in your heat map, how do you define them, and so forth. Um, our taxonomy, we share that routinely. Um, our top risks, so um, with our IG uh, last year, um, we have a new one. She is tough, but she's also open-minded about new, um, new methods, which I think is a terrific combination. Um, you don't want uh, an IG that rolls over. Okay, mm -hmm. the IG's independence is there for a reason. It's good for them, but it's also very good for the department. And so we're not about compromising that, nor compromising our own prerogatives. 
Um, so as we worked the alignment last year, um, we had informal conversations with their strategic planning uh, team as they were building out their um, management challenges memo and doing their strategic planning for their audit portfolio. Mm -hmm. When we saw the, uh, the management challenges memo this past year, our CFO team said, what happened? This is the best one we've ever seen. And it, was, it wasn't any better from a quality standpoint, but it was aligned in a, in a, a more um, careful way to the, the internal risks that were perceived on the CFO side. Right. And we've seen a body of very good work come out of that and, and very encouraging work. You know, I, I will never hold myself out as a partner of the IG. I think that's inappropriate. Mm -hmm. But getting that alignment right has been useful. And the, and the slogan that I use is that, that if we do this right, we, we're working hard to agree on the facts so that we can have meaningful arguments about the truth. That's the <laughs> slogan that I use. And I think it's an important one. I think the IG really wants to make that, you know, that uh, meaningful contribution to excellence right. that, that we do. And I think that at HUD right now, you know, it's going to take a while to fully get there. But I think we've got the right cast of characters. Our chief financial officer has a huge amount of respect for our new inspector general. I think that's re reciprocal. Mm -hmm. um, we Good. actually have had uh, Irv Dennis, who is our CFO, go in and meet with the senior audit staff and very frank conversations about his priorities and objectives and so forth. And, and that's been received well on both sides. And so we've been invited back again this year to meet with the strategic planning team as they build their audit portfolio as we go forward. Mm -hmm. And we'll see. It's a, it's a careful dance that we're starting to do. Uh, but we're beginning by being very prudent about how we observe the bright lines. I think we're doing some useful um, work break and breakthrough work in there. So, Laura, if you had uh, if you had a moment to speak to all the practitioners in our space <laughs> and say, you know, I got one thing to tell you. All right, all right. So, it would be to be strong. Okay, that the work that that we're doing is very important. It is not technically complicated work. What it is, is hard. And it's hard because it matters. And when you get involved in these kinds of efforts, you know, the, the expression that I use is, we are managing not data, we're not managing lists, we're managing conversations of consequence about issues that really matter, where resources are stretched, and where success is ambiguous. And so, you know, you're, you're really the, the focal point of, of decisions through the years that have been swept under the rug because they're tough right. and, uh, and they're politically sensitive and they're uh, economically and financially sensitive. Uh, and, uh, and if you're going to uh, be in that, you're gonna be in the center of the storm quite a bit. And, uh, and I would say, be strong, be tough, you know, um, reach across boundaries wherever you can. You're gonna drink a lot of coffee building trust relationships with your constituents and I, and I commend that to you. And, and in fact, we found that uh, the salutary benefits of malt beverage are not to be uh, <laughs> Have a beer summit. pushed aside. A beer summit is not a bad thing occasionally. And we, uh, we found that uh, by building those trust relationships, and, but carefully respecting the bright lines, you can do a lot. Reaching out for the two-pitcher solution. There you go. <laughs> the big pitcher. Man. The big pitcher. <laughs> yeah, I say two-pitcher, I'm that big pitcher. Right, right. right. <laughs> you always have to maintain the big pitcher. So uh, I just have a couple more questions for sure. you here. Um, and we're, I want to get into the 
fraud reduction, some of the fraud things going on, and then we'll just kind of talk about what are the next, what's on your wish list for you know, next steps for you guys. But right. so let's start. I mean, you know, are you, how are you all involved in some of these uh, fraud initiatives, the the Fraud Reduction Act, or even the new evidence based decision making? So we act? we we embrace both of those. Um, I I listened to one of your podcasts recently mm-hmm. with Linda Miller. We mm-hmm. think she's terrific. The work that she did at GAO was was wonderful. We embrace it. Um, and, and, you know, why invent it when it's been brilliantly invented? Plus, they're going to be the ones auditing you, so they've already given you the answers to the quiz. Right. Um, the data-driven decision-making, I think, is hugely important as well. We're, we are the flagship customer of the Treasury Department's um, uh, shared service offering. Um, so they've, they've got lots and lots of customers, but we dwarf them all. You're the big guys, yeah. We're the big guys. At the arc, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I spent a lot of time in Parkersburg, um, which <laughs> is what you've got to do. You've got to go over the mountain. These are good folks working hard for us, um, but they need to be brought into your processes in, in meaningful ways. And uh, we think that if we solve problems at, at HUD, that they're uh, replicable out into that entire shared service community. We're, mm-hmm. we're eager uh, to make available our learnings um, in, in more broadly. So, uh, so evidence-based decision making, I, I think it's huge. It's also not a magic bullet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, evidence is important, but not everything that matters can be measured. And uh, despite the popular wisdom and you know, and, and Drucker's wisdom, um, you know, some of the most important thing can things can only be described. And it's important not to sh- to shy away from that. So, mm-hmm. the interplay between quantitative and qualitative is huge. And, and where that comes from, you, you take your clues from data, um, right. but at the end, you're gonna make management decisions based on conversation and qualitative evaluation. And you, you should be um, sanguine about that, um, period. And well, and how about the, the fraud piece? How, how, how is ERM direct, I mean, are you guys directly involved in any efforts with the fraud? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm also the cognizant official for anti-fraud activity, so I'm the, okay. the name Frida person, which is good. When I took this role, um, at HUD, one of the, the things I talked about was uh, my experience in the IG community where um, you have auditors and investigators who pass each other in the hall but almost never talk to each other right. is the way it seems. Uh, but you know, every internal control failure is an invitation of fraud and every fraud event is an indication of internal control failure. And sure. you know, So I think that there are really two sides of the same coin. It's important that the anti-fraud efforts have their own center of gravity and their own visibility, and you know the interventions are going to be different with anti-fraud work. But the detection activity and the governance and the data management and the staffing and the you know um, the bodies of, of folks that you pull together to talk about these those are really all the same. Mm-hmm. So we actually talk about our program as the EFRM program, the Enterprise and Fraud mm. Risk Management Program, to make sure that people understand. Although both sides have their own characteristics. That in fact, what we're working on is one one effort, and that right. effort is right. to be smarter about how we uh, we do this work. Um, we've been, I think, pretty successful in, in doing that. Um, not any no pushback from the department. Um, I, I know again, coming out of the IG world, that um, the vigor uh, that is represented by the investigative side is always right. tempered by the wisdom that comes out. We t- talked about the, the Greeks and the Romans in my in my last job. You know the contemplatives and the, the people of action, um, being able to have a conversation where the power of both of their uh, skills and, and positions is brought together really creates a much, much more uh, successful program, I think. Okay, well, just one last question. And sure. uh, so again, you know, kind of what's on your wish list? What's the next thing you want to achieve in your program along the maturity scale here? What, what are you we're looking at? Well, you know, uh, 
funding would be nice. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're, we're built into the budgets for 20 and 21. I'm sort of you know, tin cupping a lot of the work that we're doing in 19. Um, uh, although that's going well and I'm getting a lot of good uh, leadership support. Larry, what would you do with the money? Oh, man. <laughs> so I know exactly where I would go with it. Um, uh, training, uh, huge. Um, we were getting certified fraud examination st status for some of our, our folks and they're responding mm -hmm. very well to that. They're very excited about it. But what I would love to do is build out an analytics capability where yeah. we could begin to leverage the good work that's going around uh, the government in a much more consistent way. Um, during the, we had a thing called the recovery board uh, mm. for a while. They had, and they had an analytics capability that was really pretty terrific. It got sunsetted with that, with that work. Uh, but we saw, and I'm not holding that out as an exemplar, uh, but uh, we, we saw a lot of synergy going on. I generally hate the term synergy. It gets misused all the time, but I think it's apt in this case. Um, at HUD, we, uh, we are demonstrating now to our leadership and to our line managers that we can see things more clearly than we have been in, in, in a really actionable way. And to develop a high continuity, integrated, uh, robust cloud-based data environment mm -hmm. so that we can do this kind of analytic work and, and work routinely with the Treasury Department. I, I spent a lot of time with their pre and post payment uh, integrity folks. We're active partners with the Do Not Pay Initiative, which we think is important. Um, I, I got a briefing from Grant Solutions recently on their analytic modeling, which is right. very exciting hmm. what they're doing. So there are a lot of centers of excellence out there. Right. What would be terrific is if either OMB or Treasury really took it to the next level and created an analytic environment where, where we could reliably, in a well-governed way, um, make effective management decisions based on those data insights that are coming out. I think, you know, we can talk all day about this stuff, but if it's driven by uh, data, it, it creates an objectivity uh, mm -hmm. with a level of a dynamic level of quick turnaround on the insight delivery uh, and an opportunity to give it a fighting chance for political leaders to make decisions that matter around how we structure and, and, and really manage our programs. So it would be it would be definitely in the you know data data analytics realm right. where I think the the, the most is there are wonderful opportunities using sentiment analysis to hear from the citizenry on this stuff too. Right. The social media world is filled with opportunities sure. to learn from the citizens in in very practical, very actionable ways. And and I think we're just on the cusp of that. If I were twenty years younger, I would devote the next two decades of my life to this. And you know, when I retire, that eventually I think I probably will keep a hand in it as well. Mm -hmm. So what an exciting time to be a mid-career professional in the government. It's just, just in risk management. Yeah, well, <laughs> in risk management, I think I think the the work we're doing is going to actually have an impact uh, on day to day management uh, in very very important ways. And you know, just like the CFO Act really revolutionized the way finances could be seen and understood across yes. organizations. Now, you know, maybe there'll be a CRO Act coming out sometime soon that puts all these pieces together because all these pieces are emerging and they're being put together different ways in different places but soon you know the guidance for that'll help every agency put it together in a consistent way that provides those kind of benefits so it's like you're the pioneer out there right now yeah. you know wayfinding well my uh, my uh, chief financial officer Herb Dennis um, Terrific fellow, uh, aged out executive from Ernst & Young, just kind of a, an uber auditor, um, but very, very sophisticated thinker about this stuff, um, is working on a, on a paper about this. Uh, mm -hmm. When we're looking at 
um, all of the different accountability, uh, procedural guidelines, and law uh, that really adds up to financial integrity uh, right. for the government. And by the time we are done with this work, we've got 20 different uh, OMB circulars and, and laws and so mm -hmm. forth. And there's no one coherent place where the business proposition is laid out. We've had, right. to, we've had to construct the business proposition and then align it with all of this other guidance. And, you know, I could spend an hour just talking about that work. Right. Um, well, we that, that'll be the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, thanks for joining us. I mean, we thanks learned so a lot. Much. Absolutely. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been terrific. It's been terrific. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Check out our website, affirm.org. We have many, many podcasts for you to enjoy there. And, of course, many more to come. So until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Risk Chats with a Firm.